When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you for listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please support the show by subscribing to and leaving a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also support the show by going to our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, where there's always exciting articles by the BNG writing staff. While you're there, don't forget to click on the fanatics.com banner for a great sports fan shopping experience. Are you, are you done yet? We're What's up, Bruins fans? Welcome back to quarantine episode number nine. This is actually Black and Gold Hockey Podcast episode 179, brought to you by show sponsor betonline.ag. Use code CLNS50 when you go to betonline.ag and set up a free account. Um, we got, got a lot of topics today that we discussed with a very special guest that I've been I've been working on for the past couple of weeks, and, and it's been in the works for a while now. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Dom Tiano, and he covers the Amer- Ontario Hockey League for OHLWriters.me, and uh, he's a big, long-time Bruins fan, and he loves writing about Bruins prospects and giving the updates on everything. Very smart, knowledgeable person, and I had the pleasure of sitting down for him for almost two hours, so strap in and get ready to go because uh this is a this was a very fun uh episode and a great discussion with uh with dom um but before we dive into that i'd like to talk about show sponsor betonline.ag with currently no nba nhl or major league baseball you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong 
Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack. Let BetOnline bring the Vegas action to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline.ag has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website and use the mobile device and join today to receive a sweet welcome bonus. And please don't forget to use promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50. Bet online, your online wage rig solution. So like I said, we have Dom Tiano on. We talked about the NHL return to the ice and logistics. And I might as well bring up what Pierre Lebrun said today on the Twitterverse. Pierre Lebrun mentioned, sources indicate the return to play committee has talked throughout the weekend. NHL and NHLPA making progress on a 24-team format, uh, playoff format. Sources also stress that there's still work to be done, but clearly the weekend has produced some traction. More talks expect over the next day or two. So that's some good news for hockey fans that are uh, thirsty to get hockey back and finish the year and start the hopefully start the 2021 campaign off appropriately. But with that news and so on, I got the, the playoff beard going. I'm going to keep it rocking until we find until the, the, the NHL says nay or yay. But um, before we get to my special guest, Dom Tiano of the OHLWriters.me, I would like to uh, drop in a little word about Awaken 180 weight loss. Uh, Cedric Maxwell, he's a, he's a Celtics great. He's going to talk about that right now. We'll be right back. As you know by now, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health by starting Awaken 180 weight loss. I've already dropped about 18 pounds, and I'm not the only one. Kendrick Perkins is down about 30 pounds, and we're just two of 11,000 who found the solution for weight loss. No gym, no medication, no tricks or gimmicks. Awaken 180, a combination of science, nutrition, and expert one-on-one coach. If you have weight to lose, I recommend you call Paige and her team. You'll lose weight starting the first week and each and every week until you get to your ideal weight. Awaken 186 locations, but during this lockdown, they're starting client virtual, the same program from the comforts of your home. Simply log in to awaken180weightloss.com. Fill out the form online and start your weight loss transformation. Awaken 180 Weight Loss, the official weight loss program for the Boston Red Sox. And we're back. Thank you, Cedric Maxwell, for that unbelievable uh, drop and, and talk about Awaken 180 weight loss. He's used it, and so many other people have used it. I suggest you do, too. So with that being said, here's my interview with Don Tiano. 
Hey guys, as mentioned earlier in the, in the program, I do have a very special guest, somebody that I've been following for a while and, and thoroughly respect in the uh, hockey prospect world, especially coming out of the OHL. Um, but it, it is my honor and, and my pleasure to uh, welcome Dom, Dominic Tiano. He's the, uh, he covers the OH, Ontario Hockey League for the OHL Writers and uh, his work can be found at ohlwriters.me. You could follow him on Twitter at Dominic Tiano. Dom, what's up, man? Welcome hey. to the program. Thanks for having me, Mark. This has been a long time coming, eh? It certainly has. We've been like I, we we talked in the pre-show. We've uh, we've been following each other for a while and and bouncing back and forth on the tweet, Twitterverse. But uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's good to finally get involved and and have some time to sit down. It it's sad, and I say I say this for a couple of the guests that I haven't had the uh, the privilege to have on in the past. But it took a pandemic for this to happen. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Now, Mark, and everybody's uh, doing these podcasts now. I get like half a dozen requests a day to pop on. So, I mean, we've talked about it before, so I had to put you at the top of the list. Oh, I, I really appreciate that, man. We, like, yeah, we've been talking, I think, for the last two weeks now to get this, this recording down on a Saturday. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to have you on. Um, I, I just want to, I always kind of start because it, it, as a human being, let's put the sports aside for a little while. And just, I want to ask you how you're doing in your family up in Ontario, Canada, while this, this whole thing is going on. Well, Mark, I, I pay attention to a lot of the news of what's going on. And, you know, north of the border, we seem to be doing a lot better than, uh, than the States is. And, you know, it's sad because, um, I wish we could all move along at a great place. I mean, we've got a couple of provinces that have had no new cases for several days now. And uh, even in Ontario, the, the most populated one, the number of cases is dropping uh, daily. So, you know, that's a good thing. Um, you know, I, my wife passed away 10 years ago now, Mark, so I live alone and uh, it's been hard isolating, especially since my son ha uh, has a, a baby, well, I guess he just turned two, so he's, you know, at that stage, so not being able to see him for a couple of weeks was tough. Yeah, that is tough, and I like it, like you, I haven't seen my dad or, my, or any of my parents for for a while now, since since March, since everything just went in lockdown, so it's been communications like this with Zoom and, and phone calls to, to stay um, stay with them, but um, yeah, so let's uh, let's uh, get past that and uh, talk a little bit of hockey, and, and again, like I said, I really appreciate the time today, but um, for the followers that don't know you, that, that don't follow you, and I don't know why they don't, and if you don't, please follow him at Dominic Tiano because he's just an unbelievable resource when it comes to hockey prospects, especially in the OHL. But um, I want to ask, uh, how long have you covered the OHL, and 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 more uh, especially the, how long have you been a Bruins fan? Sorry for the tongue tie there. Well, Mark, I'll I'll tell you honestly, I was originally a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. And we won our last cup in 1967. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was just turning seven years old that year. And I had an older brother who was a huge Leaf fan. And in 68, um, you know, the Leafs lost out. And 
You know, we had stayed up and watched it right till the end. And we got into an argument about it. And he says, why don't you go cheer for a different team? And, you know, there was this kid named Bobby Orr with the Bruins. And uh, um, I began to, you know, I began to follow the Bruins then as much as I could. You know, we're talking about the late 60s. There wasn't much television coverage. So basically I had to wait till they were on Hockey Night in Canada before I could I could get to see him play. And how far is Perry Sound from you? Uh, Perry Sound is, oh, a five-hour drive, six-hour drive. Ontario is a very big province. Yeah, it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's awesome. And, and, and we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the, of the, the goal that Bobby Orr scored um, on Mother's Day in 1970 when the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup over the St. Louis Blues. Um, and that must have, I mean, for somebody that has followed Bobby, did you go back that far and know about him? And, and what, what can you say about Oh, yeah. I remember exactly what I was doing when I was watching that game. Mark, my, my father was laying on the couch uh, watching, and I was sitting in, uh, well, just a big oversized oversized chair with my feet up and watching it and I I jumped up I I didn't realize at the moment how special uh that goal was I was just happy that they had won and and that iconic photo that was caught I just didn't realize how special that was at the moment and that 50 years later it's still the most popular and most recognized sports photo in, uh, of any sport. So, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, so, you know, I remember that one very well. I remember the 72 Cup final against the Rangers, um, you know, and uh, I remember 74 against the Flyers. Uh, we were actually in Mississauga at my godparents' place watching uh, the game and there was so much talking with the adults I went down to the basement and watched it on the television down there and you know I, I come back upstairs and you could see the tears were rolling down my eye and uh, you know that that team Mark was a special team and for a lot of reasons you know it didn't happen for them but that should have been a team even despite the invasion of the, the WHA, that should have won uh, three, four, five Stanley Cups in a row. Yeah, uh, the, the way Milt Schmidt uh, managed uh, a club and the way Harry Sinden was the bench boss was, was just the key pieces to really organizing a, a, a very steady bench um, and, and one that complemented so many levels of hockey back in the day when you – I mean, you talk about the big bad Bruins. Uh, these guys could beat you physically, and they could they could outscore you. I mean, uh, you know, defensemen scoring ninety points over a hundred points and so on was just—it's absolutely amazing. And uh, and winning know. a champ, uh, winning a scoring championship. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. And and Phil Esposito, you know, one hundred and forty points, whatever. I mean, that just the lineup was just unbelievable. And but that's the way hockey was back then. It was it was just such a a hard finesse game uh, and compared to this game where today where, where it just seems like every year the speed factor is always something that you have to develop and you have to accustom to. 
Yeah, and it's, I, I mean, it's becoming more and more evident now, Mark, even at, at the midget level. Um, te- you know, teams at just about every level now have invested in skating coaches, um, and a lot of emphasis is put on skating and speed and being a technically good skater. Uh, you, in today's, today's game, there aren't very many players left to play a straight north-south. You have to be able to play east-west, which needs you to have good agility, uh, good edge work on your skates, and, and that's why um, teams are bringing in these professionals to help the, the younger players at an earlier level. Absolutely. Um, let's get jump to the NHL and, and recent news, obviously the pandemic and so on. But um, what are your thoughts on the NHL trying to return to action with uh, the 2020 summer hockey and potential 2014 playoff tournament? Um, I've always believed that there, if it was possible, they were going to finish the year off. They want the players want the Stanley Cup handed out and the league wants to hand out the Stanley Cup. Um, the players don't want some cheap ass tournament, if I can use that phrase. You can that phrase. They want they want it done legitimately, which means at least four rounds, uh, best of seven. Uh, and and that's what the league is is striving to do. Um, how they do it, Mark, you know, there's a lot of talk out there and it's fluid. It changes from day to day. Uh, whether it ends up being 24 teams, 20 teams, or figuring out a way to do it with 16 teams, uh, that is yet to be determined. Uh, the hubs that they're talking about, you know, uh, until the U.S.-Canadian border opens up, there can't be any travel back and forth because you're forced to do the the 14 day uh, of self-isolation or quarantine, right? So, um, you know, there, I, I know that there is enough spots in Canada with NHL arenas that, that they could do it in Canada. Um, and, you know, there won't be any fans. So it, it, it really doesn't hurt the American market to do it that way because you're not asking fans to come to the arena. It's going to be televised, right? Yeah. So uh, whether they can find a spot in the U.S. or a spot in Canada where we don't have to cross borders and there's no quarantine or self-isolation, it doesn't matter to me. To me, I just want to see it get done. And I think a lot of hockey fans want to see it get it done. Absolutely agree. And, I mean, we've I've heard so many uh, fellow uh, you know, guests on the program, Craig Eagles talked about Moncton, um, New Brunswick being an area. There's recent news of Western Canada being an area of 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 um, a hub or something like that. So, my thing is, is as long as the league is talking about it and they want to get back and they want to give that cup away because it 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 would do just a disservice to this league and what we're trying to do moving forward to have this uh, pandemic beat our, you know, our, our, our love of the game and so on. And I, I can see that in, in the, um, in the way that the, uh, the, uh, like Gary Bettman and, and, and daily, they're trying to really work out with logistics. And, and like you said, it's, it's a day to day conversation because it, 
it changes day to day. So uh, I just hope that something gets done. And until the, until the final word says with the, that the season's over, I'm going to be fully on board with let's get it done and let's try to, to do our best because it, it almost seems like the players do want to get something done. They do want to define winner and they want to move on from this. So all for it. Exactly. And there's a lot of people that say there should be an asterisk put beside, beside the Stanley cup winner. I don't believe that Mark, we played 70 games. Uh, that's the vast majority of a season. And if you do four rounds, best of seven, to me, it's as legit as if this pandemic never even happened. Absolutely. And moving, moving on to another topic that, that obviously the pandemic uh, ruined and, and it ruined my opportunity. Well, I mean, I'm happy that I went down and saw as many games and covered as a, as a media member for the Providence Bruins uh, or via the Providence Bruins for the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast and the blackandgoldhockey.com website. Uh, definitely got to thank those guys for the opportunity this season and moving forward. But it, it came to a crashing halt, and and you know it was something that I never saw coming. Nobody, I, nobody saw this coming. But it was just it's it's very tragic. And um, on Monday this week, uh, AHL Commissioner David Andrews, which is on his last season, and and it officially is over now of uh, of being commissioner. Uh, David Andrews announced that the American Hockey League canceled the remainder of the 2019-20 regular season and called the cup playoffs. Uh, what does this mean for prospects, especially next season, where it's rumored the league could be losing teams because of this? Well, that, that's honestly, Mark, that's a very scary thought. And uh, uh, Frank Cerevelli over at TSN did an interesting article about it yesterday or the day before. I, you would know better than me, Mark, but I, I believe there's only 12 teams in the AHL that are actually owned by uh, the NHL franchise. The rest are individually owned. It's somewhere around there. You would know the number better than me. 19. 19. Yeah. That are owned by the NHL? Yeah. Okay. So we've got 12 then that are, that are not that. And the Bruins are one of those. They do right. not own that team. Now, unless the NHL is willing to invest money into it, um, I don't see how they can survive because they, they are a gate-driven league. They need that revenue coming in, um, even though the, the bulk of the salaries are paid by the NHL. They have expenses. Uh, they, they have an arena upkeep. They've got off-ice staff. They've got... Uh, in some case, cases, coaches and management to pay. Uh, they've got to pay for all the travel. And with no dollars coming in, Mark, I don't see how, they, how those dozen teams could possibly survive. Uh, what is interesting, what happens with the prospects um, is an interesting question because um, as Frank wrote in his article, uh, and our friend Craig Eagles wrote about it this morning, as a matter of fact, as well, is you could see players um, that are eligible be loaned back to, to the, the Canadian Hockey League uh, to, to get some playing time. Because obviously you can't put them all on your NHL roster. Uh, there just is a nice time room more cap space for that matter. So it's an interesting... Uh, idea 
Uh, everything is on the table, Mark. They, they have to cover every possible scenario. I know that the Canadian Hockey League is working hard to to make sure they get a season in when it starts, but they would more than welcome uh, still junior eligible players to come back and uh, and play for them for a year. Yeah, the yeah, this is a it's a it's a tough one to think about, but um, the one good benefactor of this whole thing is is the Black Ace theory. That if if hockey does return at the NHL level, that uh, teams are reportedly that they can bring up at least twelve players from their uh, top minor pro affiliate in the American Hockey League, um, and not be, uh, I I believe, um, affected by the salary cap, unless unless they are actually involved in the game. So they they could be up. This is just a theory right now. Something it's, it's just one of the logistics that they're talking about because of uh, like, like what you said earlier uh, a few minutes ago about your conditioning through this pandemic and then getting right into game shape. Uh, some veterans, it might not come so easy for some veterans and they might not be able to play so many games in a week or so many games, you know, on a back-to-back scenario that they might need rest. So this is where a, a 12 like black ace type of, um, theory could come in and, and really help out. And, and fortunately, because of this pandemic, it won't go against the salary cap. Yeah, that, I mean, that would be good going into, into next season, Mark, whenever, whenever it starts. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to work out how the numbers are going to work. Um, you know, are players on a two-way contract then paid their AHL salary or their NHL salary? Um, uh, if it's their NHL salary, then that means that, you know, they're taking a larger chunk out of the hockey-related revenues out of there, meaning more escrow for the the players that have been around, like Sidney Crosby, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Daniel Chara, Alex Ovechkin you can go up and down the list. So um, it's going to take some uh, really, uh, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, but creative uh, discussions with the NHL PA. And then the PA is going to have to sell the players on why it's a good idea uh, to do that. As for the playoffs, I'd like to see it for the playoffs, Mark. We don't have to worry about a salary cap for the for the playoffs, but to get those players, especially on the Bruins, who are expected to make a long run, to get in there and see how Zdeno Chara, Patrice Bergeron, Tori Krug, David Krejci go up and down the lineup, see how they prepare for those big, intense, uh, meaningful games. At, at, at the highest level, and it can only bode well for them going in, in, into the future, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully it all works out. I mean, you know, it, it, it's such a huge step behind for, the, for everybody, especially the, the development crew, and, and which I'm, I'm fully involved in and, and really have a passion for covering. Um, it's just been tough for everybody. But... Um, and, and, and staying with the, with the whole, you know, minor pro affiliation, I'm not sure how low you go on, on, on your coverage or your thoughts, but 
Um, any thoughts on what the NHL Bruins will be doing for an East Coast Hockey League affiliation next season with the agreement with the Atlantic Gladiators over? This was a uh, one-year agreement, and in previous two agreements, it's been two years. So the one-year agreement to me almost speculates that they would like to possibly move closer to the uh, Providence op operations. I've heard that Providence is very, very stern on not having a, a double A minor pro affiliate within the 40 mile radius of Providence, which Worcester would be in that zone. But places like Manchester, New Hampshire, Lowell, Massachusetts, Maine, even might be might be an option. Do you do you see um, the team coming closer, or have you any insight at all, or heard anything about what might happen with this affiliation? I, I haven't heard anything, Mark, but that's the trend now: is is to bring players closer to a, a, a physically closer to the next level. So, um, let's say, for example, um, Daniel Bladash or and Jeremy Swayman are in Providence, and Kyle Kaiser is in Atlanta, as an example. Uh, and heaven forbid something happened to, to Tuka Rask or, or Yarrow Halak that they needed to bring Bladash up to the NHL level. That, that would leave them with one goaltender in, in Providence. And as you know, Mark, sometimes they play three games in three days in, in the AHL. So, um, you know, you've got to have somebody there like right away. And that would mean Kai calling up Kaiser to, to Providence and um, being closer, making a 40-minute drive as opposed to, you know, having to hop on a plane and, and fly for a couple of hours is the way that, that NHL teams are looking at their affiliations to bring them closer. Yeah, and you know what's weird about this whole thing is, is sometimes um, they'll wait like you said, they'll play three and three. They'll play Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. But they won't make that transaction until Monday because they won't have another game until Friday. Right. That, gives, that gives any player down in the East Coast Hockey League, particularly right now in Atlanta, time to drive up. And I've heard Jesse Gabriel has done that. I've heard many prospects that have gone to, uh, to fill in up in Providence make the travel by car. So – it's, it's not that immediate. The immediate process is if somebody goes down, they like look around locally to sign a goaltender yeah. on an AHL contract for just a minimal time just to be suitable enough to be a, a backup until that guy comes in. So, it's, I mean, it's totally up to the, uh, you know, the, the individual organization if they want to pony up the money to get that goaltender there and fly him but oftentimes it's they wait till that Monday and then that whole week to get it all done yeah but if if the injury happened on a Thursday night to a Rask or a Halak right then then you're you're basically screwed I think with the three goaltending prospects that the Bruins have uh that they they want to give the opportunity to them rather than bringing somebody in to play a game because Let's face it, what happens in Atlanta, um, the Bruins aren't really too concerned about them winning as much as they are the Providence Bruins. But 
in, in rather than have it as a place where they could develop. And I'm a big believer, Mark, and I'm sure you are too, in having goaltenders start in the ECHL. Sure. I have no problem with it. Some big name NHL goaltenders have started there. Uh, Braden Holtby is one of them. Um, so for for Jeremy Swayman or Kyle Kaiser to spend a year in the ECHL in Atlanta or wherever if they move, I don't have a problem with. We we shouldn't look at it as a knock, but but I think the Bruins as an organization, as you said, don't want to go out and get that goaltender for for a game. They'd rather give the time to the three guys they're trying to do, to develop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I mean, sticking with the goaltenders, uh, it Max Legacy came into the uh, this Bruins organization. Obviously, was was a mainstay for Providence this year, and I thought he did fantastic as a veteran goaltender. Um, showed leadership and so on when when Vladar needed Vladash uh, had questions um, or anything like that. But I thought he was very suitable at the uh, AHL level. Um, but he is a UFA after this season. I don't believe that the the Boston Bruins want to bring somebody back like him and put him back in the in the A and have uh, the 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 three headed monster in goal. Uh, especially when you have two younger players like Bladesh and and Swayman or even Kaiser if if he's available and ready for that uh, moment. Um, I just I, I see. And another thing you got to think about too is it's like if you resign him, you can expose him for the draft next summer for Seattle, but it, you still don't want to take away developmental time at the A and, and and sign a veteran goalie like that who who did a fantastic job for for uh, head coach Jay Leach and the and the Providence team. But you really have to look forward to giving that crease time to uh, legitimate prospects that are obviously making news. Um, in my head, and and and, and possibly going to be the next ones uh, in the crease for the Boston Bruins in the future. Well, I agree with that, Mark, but I can honestly see them doing it because um, um, you could still sign a veteran to to back up Ladash in in Providence, right? And then you can have Kaiser and, and Swayman split time in uh, the ECHL, which I, again to me is is a good starting point for goaltenders, you know, uh, if they could get equal time split the crease. Um, what, what I would be worried about is if for some reason the injury that they had to bring Vladash up for an extended period of time, are you willing to go with uh, with Swayman and Kaiser as your as your goalie tandem in Providence? So for that reason, I could see them wanting to bring in uh, an experienced goaltender, whether it be Lagasse or some or somebody else. Um, uh, I, I I could totally see that happening. Um, in in terms of having a goaltender eligible eligible for the expansion draft. Uh, let's face it, if Tukarask is going to be the one that's going to get protected. What, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's if, so, he, that's if he's resigned. Um, well, 
Yes and no, because as an unrestricted free agent, um, Seattle would get exclusive rights to uh, to talk to him for seven days, I believe it is. Even the okay. Bruins can't talk to him for that period. So if Rask decided to sign with them, um, that would count as the pick from the Bruins, okay? Um, so um, I think, I, I mean, I've heard some things, Mark. Uh, I don't know how real they are, but I uh, Rascal signed before before that ever happens. So um, he'll be the goalie that that they protect. That means that Vladosh is going to be exposed. So I don't think having another veteran in Providence under contract is really going to change anything because Vladosh will be exposed. And if he has a season like he had this year, Mark. Um, you know, they, 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 he might just be the one that they grab. It all also depends on what defenseman is available. Like, I've heard talk that, that and Don Sweeney has said this himself, that uh, Zidane Char wants to return and he's willing to wait until all the other contracts are settled before he puts ink to paper on a new deal. I've heard that they've had those discussions. So uh, Chara will be back next year. Uh, what, hap what happens to Krug is, a, is another story. So that means that uh, Matty Grizzlick, uh is going to be exposed. So you're the GM in Seattle, Mark. What do you want, that defenseman in Grizzlick, or do you want that goaltender in Bladosh? And that's, you know, there's no given that Bladosh is going to be the one that's taken, but, you know, they got to be looking hard at it. Yeah, especially when it comes down to NHL experience, Dom, and and you're and you're uh, a Seattle GM. That's that's just you know you're out there just picking away at at, at getting a, a roster together. You're gonna want to go heavily on NHL experience first, and then at the, maybe even later rounds uh, start looking at uh, some players that are uh, in the that are at least th three year pros in the American Hockey League right. who will be available. Right, so uh, it, it's it's hard to say which way it's gonna it's gonna lean, Mark. I fully, like I said, I fully believe Rask will be under contract and uh, uh, that he's gonna be the one protected. And unfortunately, you know, they put the all this time in Bladosh and the money to to um, uh, develop him. And uh, either way, we're gonna lose a player and we're gonna lose a good player, Mark. And you know, we hate to see that happen, but we also want to be, see Seattle be successful like Vegas does. It only makes for better hockey. Absolutely, and it makes it for a great market, um, you know, uh, stamp. Uh, geographically, you're, you're going to be a rival with, with Seattle and so on and, and in teams in Western Canada and Northern and, and in California. So, I mean, it's going to be a solid move for the NHL altogether, just another way to – bring in, uh, what was it, $650 million or yeah. dollars? Yeah, so the league's making out all of a sudden. And, you know, I, I think that it, going back to the whole expansion thing with Seattle, I think this is a great move because the, the, the market out there is good for hockey. When you think about the uh, Western Hockey League, sure. the American markets in, in, in the state of Washington, it's got to be five teams out there, Spokane, Tri-City, Everett, 
Portland, yeah. all those guys. I mean, there's hockey installed, and it's been that way for years. So bringing in a professional team like that is is just another is, uh, another notch in the NHL. But it also, in my opinion, brings in revenue that they might have lost previously in TV deal. And I'm not picking on your country at all, Dom, but with the oil prices and everything like that in Canada dropping, the the money market did too. Yeah. And you and you know as well as anybody else that the NHL salaries are paid in the American dollar. So yeah. that that five billion dollar TV deal that they got from Rogers, TVG, uh, and um, TSN. Uh, no, uh, TBA. Oh, that's and, what it is. I'm and, sorry. Yeah. TVG is the horse racing one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, recouping some of those funds, I still believe that is coming from Seattle moving forward as a as an entity, as the National Hockey League is. And it's always trying to grow and always, you know, trying to move forward. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be great. I, I just still, I just want to hear a name. Just call it the, you know, the no, you can't call it the Salmon Kins, can you? No. Uh, what was it? Wasn't there a thing on, was circulating on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago that they were going to be called the Kraken? Yeah, I heard that. That's kind. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'm not. A fan. Go back to his. I'm a history guy. Go back to the Metros. Yeah. You know that was your, that was your legitimate first United States hockey team that won a Stanley Cup. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I would have no problem with that. It's uh, look. I I. No matter what they do, Mark, you know, they've got a good marketing firm there. The NHL marketing team is helping them out. And, uh, you know, that that's one thing the NHL has gotten good at over the last couple of years is, is marketing their teams, marketing their players. And they'll come up with the right thing, the right uniforms. I know they'll have uh, instant, like, I mean, instant rivalry with Vancouver just being a, a – across the street there. And like you mentioned, the California teams, um, you know, it's going to do well. I believe so. All right, let's, let's talk about a little bit of Boston Bruins now. Uh, recent news, thought um, Kevin Miller, another setback. Defenseman Kevin Miller has been really, really trying hard to, to get back to his uh, 100% skating. And it seems like every time he steps on the ice, something else happens. So, uh, in a Zoom meeting recently that the Boston Bruins set up with Eric Russo, um, he revealed that he had another surgery recently, uh, you know, when, when his comeback was happening. Um, and he's a UFA at the end of the year. Salary cap's probably not going from uh, $81.5 for at least two or three seasons in my projections and a lot of projections that I hear from folks like Frank Zaravalli that you said, Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick, and so on. They're all saying it could be a flat cap, even a million less. So what is your thoughts on bringing him back and, and holding on to a guy that is so good in the locker room, but his, his services are so needed on the ice? Well, Mark, you know, I, I love Kevin Miller, and I feel bad for him. And um, he's 32. We're going on 32 now, I believe. And to have gone through three procedures in, in a year, 
that's tough. And I don't know how he could bounce back from that and be the Kevin Miller that we're accustomed to, to see. Um, personally, if it were me, if I was Don Sweeney and, and, and management team, I would cut bait after this contract expires. We've seen that uh, Jeremy Lozon can step in and play. He can play the right side. Uh, Matty Grizzlick could even move over, but uh, Jeremy Lozon will bring you some of what you're losing in, in Kevin Miller. Um, in, in the physicality department, and I would argue, Mark, um, I know uh, people that haven't watched Providence uh, probably don't see it because of such, as, as such a small NHL sample size. Uh, he can bring more of other parts of the game than Kevin Miller can. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of him junior whenever I could catch Providence play. Um, you know, I, I thought he, he, did, he did very well. He did well for himself. And when he got the call up, it's like, man, this guy's ready to stick. So, um, yeah, I, he's one of the reasons that would make me feel comfortable in cutting ties with, with Kevin Miller. You, you, you can't sign Kevin Miller to a, another deal and then worry about him not having, not being able to play and having that contract on the books. Yeah, and, and a lot of folks come uh, have reached out to me on Twitter and Facebook and and even text messages when they heard about this, and and they have asked me, it's like, well, what if he, what if he was to sign like a two way deal and go down to Providence? He's an over thirty veteran. That doesn't work out. It, they no. just, it doesn't. They don't. Contracts don't work like that. Is as much as I'd like to see that and keep him involved in the organization and kind of condition him back into like 100%. It's just that that's the way the business is. It's either a nay or a yay. But um, with the whole thing, the flat cap, there's so many avenues that come involved. And, you know, I respect Kevin Miller. I've talked to him several times. Um, he's such a great guy, a, a, a consummate teammate, always there. But when it comes down to a business – you're continuing, if you do retain him, what you're doing is you're, you're continuing the, 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 the bottlenecking of AHL defensemen that are, that are trying to break through. And right. particu particularly, I, I need to always talk about Jakobs Borrell. Now, everybody's going to go back to 2015 and say, total bust, bad move, whatever, the Barzells, I don't buy, you know, that's, that's a totally different conversation that I – didn't even want to get into at the time because I saw I saw what was on the board and available and I was like you know a little little head shake but I'm not I'm not there at the table something these guys know something but I saw something in Jakob's Borrell this season that I haven't seen in all of his years of uh, as a minor pro and he really really stepped up this year for me he was even better than first round draft pick fellow first round draft pick not in the same year of course but Yerho Vakaninen, I thought Yerho Vakaninen took a serious step back uh, in his development. But, you, you know, you, if you bring back Miller, the bottleneck continues because that roster, there's only so many defensemen that you can, you can bring into the fold. You, you, you're going to block 
playing time for Connor Clifton, Lauzon, and in 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 the progression of Yerho, if they needed him or or Zboril, or you know the projects and Cooper Zach, any of the new guys that they sign and Hakan, it's just there's got to be something done. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you on all counts, Mark. And um, on top of all that, if you sign Kevin Miller, you're taking money away to potentially sign Tory Krug. Oh yes, another so, another avenue. So for me, it's it, it's a no. Um, to ha- to have th- those types of surgeries is harder on a defenseman than it than it is a forward, and he's over thirty. So I, I hate to say it because I like Kevin Miller; he's a great person. I follow him on Instagram and always looking at what he has to say. Uh, love his leadership. Loved the fact that he comes to defend his teammates. Uh, but I can't invest money when we have question marks with Tory Krug, the prospects that you mentioned, and the fact that he's over 30. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good insight, and th- I appreciate that. Um, all right, now it's time for the part of the show that is, is absolutely my favorite and one of the big reasons why I've had you, I wanted to have you on, and uh, that's just the, the steak and potatoes here. And that's the Boston Bruins prospects because I'm a huge fan. You're a huge fan, and and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with your mind a little bit here. So I hope okay. you're ready, Tom. All right. So here's this is and I'm this one I'm not gonna take credit for because I'm not one that listens to a podcast or reads an article without quoting people. This is not my idea or anything like that. But last week. I was listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, two highly respected people in the hockey community. And they brought out this, this idea. If the NCAA, which is reported to start late, could some NCAA players that were originally drafted into the Canadian Hockey League take advantage of the CHL starting earlier than, than the NCAA and jump ship. Now, hear me out. John Beecher is one of those players that I wanted to talk to you about today, so I want to get some insight on him moving forward. But the uh, 6'3", 209-pound forward, he's played center and left wing, uh, was an NCAA freshman uh, this season for 1920. He had 16 points in 31 games. That's nine goals, seven assists. He was drafted in the fifth round in 2017 in the OHL priority selection by the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Do you see a chance that John Beecher possibly consoles with the Bruins organization and says, what is a better move for me? Yes, I do. And the reason why I say yes, I do, Mark, is because – I know that those discussions have already taken place with the Sioux Greyhounds. Here's the thing. The Sioux Greyhounds are one of two teams. Uh, the, the Memorial Cup comes back to Ontario for 2021. Uh, 
The Sioux Greyhounds are one of two teams, the Oshawa Generals being the other, that have formally put in their bid to host the 2021 Memorial Cup. One of those teams will automatically be in the Memorial Cup. Both those two teams will be good enough to win an OHL championship to be in the Memorial Cup anyway. So we could see both of them there technically. John Beecher would put the Greyhounds over the top. Now, I believe it was a month ago when his coach came out and said that he, he hasn't had any exit meetings with any of the players, hasn't talked to Beecher. Maybe it was a little bit longer than that. That's the time that I had heard the Sioux Greyhounds had already had two discussions with Beecher's camp. So, yes, the possibility is there. Um, now, interesting, Mark, that you brought up the Bruins and whether um, Beecher's camp would ask them what they feel is best for them, uh, which uh, many fans don't know uh, that, that this happens a lot, is the, the NHL teams, in this case the Bruins, are really involved in that. And it's like um, uh, Axel Anderson before he was traded in the, in the um, David Backus deal to, to Anaheim, um, worked with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to get him into the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I remember our old friend Ryan Spooner when um, he played for the Peterborough Peets in the OHL and asked for a trade. Uh, the Bruins were none too happy that he didn't consult them first. I know of a, a, another player in the OHL, I don't want to mention names here, Mark, because um, I don't want to call anybody out, but um, an OHL player uh, was drafted by the Bruins and his father called me one day and said, we're going to ask for a trade. And I said, why? And he said, I don't like the way my son is being treated. I don't like his ice time. And I said, don't. Don't you dare approach the team and ask for a trade. If you wanted, if you think that it's the best thing, involved Bruins. And he said, well, how do I get a hold of them? I said, you don't talk to them. You talk to your agent. Your agent talks to the Bruins. Work through the proper channels and get it done. Because the team wants to be involved to, to figure out what's, what's best for their development. So... In terms of the Bruins, in the, in the case of Beecher, I can see them being interested in, in, the, in the move to the Sioux mark because uh, he could be in a Memorial Cup. He could be on an OHL championship team. He could be on a very good team. Uh, he could get top six minutes in the Sioux, if not top three. Um, and um, he would be playing earlier. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, too, is another thing that Marek and, and uh, especially Marek, because he's, he's, the, he's the prospect guru of uh, Sportsnet, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, how about Beach's idea moving to the Sioux along with the potential idea 
of Cole Caulfield, who was also drafted by the Sioux Greyhounds in the 12th round in 2018 in the priority draft. Um, he's a freshman at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, Trent Frederick also um, um, went to the uh, Badgers, and, and I believe Tony, uh, Tony Amonte is uh, – not Tony Amonte – Tony Granado um, yeah. is a fantastic coach. He really gets the best out of his players, especially the forwards. And I, I think that's what he got out of Trent Frederick moving forward. But uh, Caulfield had 19 goals, 17 assists, 36 points um, in 36 games. Uh, and he's a Montreal prospect. But if, if the NCAA is not starting soon – and the CHL wants to, you know, CHL starts, and you know this, CHL normally starts in se- the late September. I'm yeah. hearing it could be a late October start. That's just projections right now, but it could be sooner than the NCA. But how about that Sioux team, if you add Cole Caulfield to that mix? Oh, it'll be a dynamic, dynamic team, Mark. You know, uh even without adding the two, they're going to be an excellent team and they're going to challenge for the championship. But putting, putting those two or even one of them on it could be the, the, the player that puts them over the top. So um, um, the, either the Bruins or the Habs, I've got to think got to be drooling that there's the opportunity that, that either those two players could be put into that situation. If, if I was John Beecher, um, you know, I'd be giving up my NCAA education and so on and so forth. But it it could also help progress his professional career because he's not drafted out of the CHL. So the following year, he could go straight to the AHL. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a CHL player has to stay in the CHL until they're 20. Yep, exactly. So um, I can see why it would be a benefit on so many, so many ways. It's just how important is that education to them at this point? Absolutely. And, and, and looking forward too is, is, is what you're looking at contracts at the NHL level in the center position or even the left wing where Mel Gibson, uh, Mel Gibson. Wow. I'm terrible today. Mel, Mel Pearson, the uh, Wolverines head coach has often put him to get him involved in, in the winger uh, aspect of the game, not only up the middle and it's in the top three lines, but um, you could look at the projection of, of how your roster is going to look and if a beacher might fit in there somewhere. So that's always – I mean, there's so many avenues that we could travel on on these ideas and, and what potentially could be going through Beecher's uh, family and his agents' uh, heads moving forward. Um, and speaking of moving forward, well, let's just – we've got to get to this guy because you've had several um, years of, of following him, I believe, uh, is Jack, Jack Stadnika. Um, and he is currently with the Providence Bruins. This is his rookie season. In 60 games this season, he, he has 23 points, 26 assists. Sorry, 23 goals, 26 assists, and 49 points. That's three power play goals. He led the league with seven shorthanded goals and led the team with 154 shots. I mean, at least 40 more shots than anybody else on the team. 
Let's go. Let's hear it. Wow. What are your thoughts on, on Jack Stanika from, from when you saw him in the Oshawa to Niagara to going right into minor pro? Well, I, I think the first time I saw him play was in midget. And uh, you knew then he could play. Um, his transition to the OHL is, was, it didn't come as quick as I thought it would. Uh, because even at midget, he just proved to be such a smart, in, intelligent hockey player. His IQ, hockey IQ was through the roof. Uh, w- one thing I will say first about Stadnika, Mark, and hopefully you can get out this out to everybody because you got a lot more people that listen to you than listen to me, is we got to stop with this nonsense that Jack Stadnika has to play center. Jack Stadnika can play the wing. He has, he can, and he can be successful at it. The long-term goal is to, to have him at center. But to, let's not forget, Patrice Bergeron played the wing when, it, when he first came to the NHL. It's not a bad thing. So let's get that out of the way. And hopefully you can convince people better than I can. Um, as I watched him progress through his years in Oshawa and, and then his final year in Niagara after the trade deadline, I like to refer to him as a Patrice Bergeron light. Um, he thinks the game the same way as Bergeron does. Uh, he has a lot of the same traits. I wouldn't put them at the same level as, as Bergeron but that's the way he thinks the game. He's a playmaker, we know that. He can run the power play from the half wall, we know that. He can kill penalties, we, can, we know that. Uh, he can go up against the opposition's best players all the time, we know that. Uh, he's super on face-offs, we know that. Um, he's not just a playmaker, we know he's a shooter, he can shoot. Um, so when I, I look at fans talk about, well, where are you going to put him because you've got Bergeron and Krejci and Coyle down the middle, I would start him at wing, Mark. I honestly would, because, uh, we also know he's a great leader. So bring him to bring him in under the Chars and the Bergeron and the Krugs, um, will we'll only help him expand on, on his leadership. This is the way we do it. And he can run with that. And, and playing on, even though he's playing on wing, he's there with Patrice Bergeron to not only look at how Bergeron prepares himself, uh, puts in the work and all those kind of things. It's, how he works to, to keep on improving even the things he's already good at. So I've got no qualms with, with Stanika being on the wing for a year or two and then moving to center once David Krejci is gone or, or whatever. Um, I, 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 I don't know about you, Mark, but I get, I get people that ask me on Twitter and other places like, you know, he, he was traded. Uh, Oshawa traded, so there must be something there. But uh, those people don't follow junior hockey, Mark. And this is what I, I want to say to them, is 
major junior hockey in Canada is cyclical. Everything happens in cycles. So you, you go on a championship run, um, things aren't going so well the next season. You move your veterans out uh, to get draft picks, young players, whatever, and get ready for the, ne the next run. That's what the Generals did uh, in trading Jackson Nika because they knew they were going to make a Memorial Cup bid next year and a run for it. And they gathered the assets by trading Jack for, you know, 20 games and uh, two playoff rounds. Who I might add, Oshawa beat them out. Um, and, and restocked for that Memorial Cup run next season. So that's why Jack was traded. It has nothing to do with his attitude, his abilities or anything like that, which is what people are hinting at me. But that's the way junior hockey operates in Canada. You only get the players for three years, four years. So you, you've got to get assets back for them when you know you're not going to win. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be straight honest with you. I'm, I'm just not a – I like the way that – Players uh, develop in their natural positions. Um, I've seen some good and bad things in the past. It's not always consecutive with a center that comes up and plays on the right side. I, I constantly think of players like Ryan Spooner and so on, but it might have been something, you know, uh, going on in his head through that whole time and the, and the playing time and when players uh, question their coaches about this and that, but. I just don't want to see somebody like, like right now I see Charlie Coyle as a third line center, but when you put him at right wing on the second line, I see a totally different player. So I'm kind of on board with what everybody's kind of saying, but I do understand what you mean though, is you can put him in there for the roster spot, get him the experience uh, and then slot him in back uh, to the, to the, up the middle when availability is available, obviously. But one well, thing I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Spooner, Mark. Here's the difference between Ryan Spooner and, uh, and Jack Snedeker. Um, Jack's hockey IQ is way up here. And, and Spooner's is way down here. When you have the IQ at the level, I, I don't want to say elite because I think that's a word that gets – used too much but when you have an IQ at the level that Jack Stanika does you can you can make that adjustment he's capable of playing with great players he's also very good at, at, at carrying the line and making his line mates better depending on what situation you want to use him in um, so so uh, Stanika would have an easier time transitioning to right wing than Ryan Spooner. And I would go as far as to say he would have an easier transition to right wing than Charlie Coyle would, because I think Jack's IQ level is above that of even Charlie Coyle's. Interesting. And when you, when you talk about Ryan Spooner is I always thought that Ryan looked for a lane as a centerman. Jack's the type of player that I've seen in Providence and many streaming games in Oshawa and Niagara. Um, he creates a lane. And there's yeah. a huge 
huge difference between looking because your your head yes your head's up you're trying to make a play fast transition through all three zones but you're looking and you're trying to see something ahead of you jack's the type of player that continues to move pro, the pro, forward progress but is also creating availability to make a play for for players to get it up quickly and then burst speed get into the play uh, in the offensive zone. So there's a, a, definitely a huge difference. Sure. Yeah, absolutely right. You, you know, we talked about it earlier about not being uh, a north-south game anymore. Jack is a tremendous north-south, east-west player. He, he, knows, he knows how to create space. He knows how to buy time for his teammates. Um, defensively, he understands uh, how to take away lanes, how how to put his stick into position. Uh, he anticipates extremely well. He, he knows what's going to happen before the opposition knows what they're going to do. That's if right. There's, if there's one thing, Mark, you know, I, I always come across as being all high on, on these prospects, but they all have flaws. And in Jack's case, we know his defensive game is there. Uh, and I think a good play in the NHL next season. I don't think he's at, at, at the weight level he needs to be to be successful down the middle at the NHL level uh, just yet. So a year on wing um, may do him good with the, you know, working with the Brewers nutritionists, their training staff and all that to add, to add that uh, much needed bulk in his case. Yeah, excellent, excellent insight. You basically convinced me. All right, let's go to somebody next that somebody uh, that most keep hampering on because of 2015 in the draft from Florida. Um, and you've you've seen him, I'm sure, many times with the Sioux Greyhounds. And that's Zach Sinitian. Uh, he's a first round pick in 015. He's a third year pro in the American Hockey League with the Providence Bruins. Uh, in 2019-20, he had seven goals, nine, ass nine assists, 16 points in 42 games played. And his career numbers as a third-year pro is 33 goals, 33 assists, 66 points in 174 games. Thoughts on uh, on Zach? And um, I know that I'm high on him. I know our friend uh, Anthony Kwiatkowski is high on him too. And 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 we're we're. We're, we're the type of people that were like, you know what, sign him for another year. He's still got a lot to prove. Um, Injury-riddled season this year, which I think kind of took him a step back, but he did get the availability at the NHL level when the, NA, when the Bruins came calling. Thought he played well in his time mm -hmm. there. And uh, I, I just think that one more year, you, it's a show me. you got to show me that you want it and so on. Maybe even a two-year might be beneficial with the availability in the future uh, with the roster spot ahead at the NHL level. But I, I'm a big fan just because of his attributes. The guy's got a, a, an unbelievable stride. And he's got great offensive capabilities, especially with his hands. He could stick handle in a phone, in a phone booth. And, and, but like you said, all these prospects are always people that need to learn more. Would you give the opportunity to Zach Sinitian with on another year with the AHL Bruins and, and to prove it to the NHL that he could still play? 
Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Here's the thing, Mark. And, <clears throat> you know, it, it, what we do, we have to listen to what fans say um, and sometimes respond even though we want to bite our tongues and not respond. Um, fans are always quick to say use Carson Kuhlman as an example. Say how great he is, blah, 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 blah. And are so quick to jump on Zach's initiative. Well, how about we give them equal time? Uh, forget about where they were drafted and where they played. Um, Colpin's got an extra year of development. Why are why were you ready to cut down Zach's initiative two years ago and not give him the the same the same respect? I will use the word respect. Look, Zach's initiative has no blame should be laid upon him as to where he was picked. I'll make no secret about it. I wanted Zach's initiative as a Bruin, but I wanted him in the second round. Okay, I've made no secret about it. I, I just thought that the potential there was was so high. And that potential is still there. But he was raw. He was never he never played for a Dale Hunter team or a, a Stan Butler team in junior. He played on the Sault St. Marie Greyhounds, and his only role with that team was to go out and score. Don't worry about defense. Don't worry about back checking. Uh, don't worry about your end. We got players to do that. Your job is to score goals. So now you've got an 18-year-old where you have to teach the rest of the game to. Requires patience. Requires an investment. Requires time. They put that in there. It's the end of his entry-level contract. Well, let's not write him off now. We don't write off the Carson Coleman's, um, you know. Um, so let's give him that year, and this is the year where it's, okay, now show me. We've developed you for three years. Put the whole package together. We saw it in a small sample size, Mark, in the NHL that he could do it. He got robbed of a couple of points. We know that uh, because of video replay. But he didn't look out of place. So I would definitely bring him back. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I don't care what fans think about the everybody can go back and do a redraft to 2015 uh, Travis Konechny Kyle Connor, Matthew Barzal they wouldn't be there at 15, 16 and 17 redraft that everybody made that mistake to pick in the top 17 not just the Bruins so get your heads out of your asses and, and worry about what we actually have and that's these three players right here. Yeah, and and when you talk, when you talk about Zach, he was a pleasure to watch in, in, with the Sioux in the OHL under Drew Bannister as a as a fourth line player. The kid was putting in twenty six goals. Then I mean it was a very deep team too, and he was a younger um, asset. But as a fourth liner, scoring twenty six goals is pretty impressive. The next season, forty, and and that was under Sheldon Keefe, I believe. The next two seasons Correct. that yeah. he was with the Sioux was under Sheldon Keefe, yeah. and he 
it, it, obviously he got you know higher roles in 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 the, in the top six. And you know he got 40 goals, and I think 41 the final season. So I just like the, his work ethic moving forward. But and, and so many people think that he hit a brick wall once he hit the AHL. I don't think so. I think that like Jay Leach, he's the type of coach that wants to get players involved in so many different situations. Right. And, and when when I post something on Twitter about the 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 lineups. Well, Mark Diver, who's another great Providence Bruins uh, knowledgeable person to follow, when he posts something, the narrative is always, oh, there we go, Zach's on the fourth line. But they don't understand that they're trying to get these young kids adequated to the, the rigors of a, of a hard game. You know what I mean? You need to exactly. learn that. You need to learn that all the way through development. It's not just, oh, he's a high prospect. He needs to be up on the top two lines all the time. Because I believe that once he's ready, to, once a player like that is ready to go in the NHL and see these men, these experienced people come at you, sometimes you're not ready for it if you don't play all levels of the game. Correct. And like the Bruins expect everybody to be able to kill penalties. Um, you know, when Zach Sinitian first went to Providence and, and you know, they said, okay, you're going to kill penalties. I can just imagine the look on his face and it's like, I've never killed a penalty in my life. It's, well, you're going to learn yeah. because that's what we expect from you. And no doubt in my mind, I would bring him back. No doubt in my mind, it's it's. We know he can skate. We know he can score. Um, it, it's can he round out his game? Now, the development has been there. It's now just a matter of okay, this is the year you've got to show us you can put it all together. I don't think that with the time and the money that they invested in him so far and taking the slow route intentionally guys the Bruins did it intentionally that they're just gonna say no we're not gonna qualify you yeah they I mean a lot of folks that I follow and I listen to they just don't understand how important the sustainability of the of the minor pro system is and how important a guy like Sinition is at that level it's it's automatically like um, as soon as they leave the podium, the draft podium, they, they they need to be in the NHL as soon as possible, and that's just not how it goes. That might have been the that might have been the narrative a long time ago in the National Hockey League, but I believe nowadays you need to develop properly. And if a player needs a little more time, I'd sign them for another year or two. Absolutely. Sure, sure, and you know, again, small sample size. Uh, Mark, we show he showed that he could play at the NHL level. Uh, that that Anders Bjork, Charlie Coyle, Zach's initial line. I would have loved to have seen a few more games of those those three together because I thought that they meshed extremely well. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of Coyle in that situation too. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dom, but the way he drives a play and his puck possession skills up the middle create so many opportunities for faster players on each side. Like Sanishin 
and 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 Bjork. You know, I mean that that's a, that's just a great line. It, I mean, almost remind. Remember the days of uh, Kyle Soderberg when he basically oh, yeah. revitalized the whole third line when years years were going by. Like this third line is terrible, and then the one-eyed Swede comes along, and it's like, oh, we found our guy. I think that like Charlie Coyle is just a, that step better than than uh, Soderberg was, but he just compliments so. His players on each on each wing so well. Yeah, and I, I mean we saw why Johansson was such a great fit with with Coyle, better fit with Coyle than he was with Krejci. Yeah, I don't think Zach Sinitian could mesh with David Krejci. I speak about this often. You know, you go back to the days of Blake Wheeler where they used to call him Mister Offside, um, but that's as much on David Krejci as, as it is on Blake Wheeler because uh, as a center who, who plays such a cerebral game as, as David Krejci and isn't the fastest skater out there, when you've got a, when you've got a, a line mate that's busting down the wing and is at the, at the blue line, you give him the puck. You don't wait to try and keep up with him and, and enter the zone. And David Krejci was just as much at fault for those offsides as Blake Wheeler was, which is also why I don't think Zach Sinitian would mesh with a David Krejci, um, but would with a, a Charlie Coyle. Absolutely. Now, people say to me, well, he does okay with, uh, with uh, Jake DeBrusque, but how many people are screaming for Jake DeBrusque to play with Charlie Coyle because he looks better there? Mm, good point. For the same reason. And as, as good of a skater Jake DeBrusque is, and he's a great skater, he's no Zach Sinitian. So that's the way I look at it, Mark. There you go. Uh, the final prospect I want to talk to you about, which um, I read an article in, in April that you wrote for the OHL writers, which I thought was fantastic, was uh, you'll look back at the career of Kyle Kaiser and with the Oshawa Generals, um, and, and I'm a huge fan of Kyle, um, and, but there's some things I really wanted to talk to you about because I, I remember a conversation we had on Twitter in his final season in Oshawa, and you reminded me not to worry about it, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. We'll talk about it. Um, but Kaiser is just one of those uh, goaltending prospects. He was, if, if, if folks, my listeners don't know, Kaiser was basically signed the, the the day after Subban was picked up off of waivers from the Vegas Golden Knights, that's correct. As as uh, just as just another um, goaltender in the fold as a free agent, and he played. I thought he he did very well. His athleticism, he, he squares to the puck. I mean, he's he's very good. The one thing I'm a little concerned about about Kyle, and this is the question that we talked about, uh, I believe last year was that in his final season with Oshawa, he had two concussions. Yeah. The thing- I, I, I've said before in other places, Mark, that if I have any concern uh, with Kyle, it's, uh, it's injuries or the concussions. I talked to Kyle a few weeks ago, and... Um, I asked him, where is he at, Um, uh, how's it coming along, and uh, 
he basically, Mark, he asked me not to talk about it. So, you know, I, I have to leave it at that. Disrespectful. Uh, um, you know, but he's getting there. And, um, um, you know, if, if you go back to his draft year, I had... I had Kyle ranked as the third best goalie in in the OHL available for the draft. Michael DiPietro went to Vancouver. Uh, Matthew Belalta went to the LA Kings, and then I had Kyle Kaiser three, and Caden Fulcher number four. And I'll tell you, I was shocked that neither uh, Fulcher or Kaiser got drafted. So was I. Just, I. just totally bewildered. So that afternoon, when the pair signed, I got a text saying uh, Kaiser and Fulcher signed, have signed with the Bruins and Red Wings. Well, I was driving at the time, so I couldn't couldn't text back. So I got home and I said, "Okay, who signed with who?" Because I really wanted Kyle Kaiser. Um, and Within five minutes, the deal, the, both deals were announced. Kaiser was going to Boston, Fulcher was going to, to Detroit. Um, a year later, if you were to ask me to rank those four again, I would have gone Di Pietro, Kaiser, Belalta, um, and Fulcher. So I would have moved Kaiser up. That's how good of a year he had in. Uh, in Oshawa. Now, people talk about how great Jackson Nika was in Oshawa, but Kyle Kaiser was their MVP. He was. If you go back to his final year, he was just unbelievable. He, he went into the playoffs. Uh, first, of, first series was against the Peterborough Peaks. Now, I do a preview every year of the playoff matchup. And I never picked Oshawa to win a single series. So I had Peterborough winning the series in five. What does Kyle Kaiser do? Goes in, stones them, Oshawa wins. Jackson Nika traded to Niagara. I didn't give Oshawa a hope in hell of winning a game in that series. Niagara sweep. What happens? Kyle Kaiser comes in there and stones them. Not only stones Niagara, stone Jacks Danica a few times. You can see the two making eye contact and smiling at each other. Right? <laughs> yep. Then came Ottawa, who was the favorite. Yeah, they were a wagon. The, I mean, that team was just unbelievable. One that, of the best. That was the year the DPHO got traded from Windsor to Ottawa, right? right. So in that series, it was, it was Kaiser uh, against DPHO. And, you know, I predicted an auto a sweep, and it was. And I said, for this series to even be closed, Kyle Kaiser has to stand on his head. Now, before they went into that series, Mark, Kyle Kaiser had had the best save percentage of any goaltender in the Ontario Hockey League in 25 years. Wow. I talked to Kyle a few weeks ago. I said, did you know this? He's, no, Dom, I had no clue. I said, here's the numbers. I've got them in front of me. So the, the greatest 
single goaltending performance I had ever seen in the Ontario Hockey League in a playoff game was that game four versus Ottawa, where Kyle Kaiser stood on his head. Oshawa's winning one nothing going into the third period. They were being outshot something like 24 to 11. That third period came and Ottawa threw everything at They were out shooting them 19 to 4 at one point. With under four minutes left, Ottawa took a penalty for a puck over the glass. Less than a minute later, uh, there was a check to the head penalty, so they were down two men. They pulled DiPietro, so it was basically they were skating a six on three. And um, Kaiser just stopped everything that came his way. But you can't stop them all in that situation. So uh, Ottawa tied it, and then it goes to overtime. They're still on the power play, and they won it 20 seconds in. I had never seen a kid more heartbroken as he laid there on the ice for 30, 45 seconds. And I've talked to him about that game, and Mark, he says, he, he's such a humble kid that he doesn't talk about himself. He said to me, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, he says, Dom, I know I have to be at my best, and all I want to do is be my best to give my teammates a chance. And he felt like he let them down. Well, you know what, Kyle, hold your head up because it was your teammates that let you down and not the other way around. Single greatest goaltending performance I had seen in the playoff game. And I've been watching the OHL since 1970, Mark. Yeah. So, he, like you said, he's a very athletic goalie, tremendous athleticism. He needs some work on his on his technique. Uh, he's told me, he's, he, even now, is, is talking to Mike Dunham and Bob Basenza uh, asking them information on nutrition, uh, uh, what should I be working on, even personal questions. Um, he, a couple of years ago, he was up at, at camp with the Bruins. Yeah, he said he learned a lot about how to prepare from Tuka Rask and Anton Hudobin. Um, you know, um, you go back two years ago, I believe it was, where he had not played in a professional game and he got he had to be thrown in in the elimination elimination game. I forget against who it was who. Charlotte. Charlotte yeah. Checkers. And he did they lost three one. He held his own. Yeah. His first professional game is an elimination game. Um unfortunately injuries caught up to him this year, Mark. And, you know, uh, God willing, he gets over them and comes back completely healthy. And uh, I think with with Bladash and Kaiser and, and Swayman in the mix, that the Bruins goaltending could be set for the, for the next dozen years after Tuka Rask is gone. Uh, to absolutely agree with that, Dom. A lot of people think that they that the just because that they're not winning all kinds of championships here and there and doing this and that that they're that they're not valued assets in the future. But you look at this this goaltending, 
um, depth. I'm, I'm very impressed with the way that their signings and their drafting. Uh, and, and you mentioned something about uh, uh, Ascenza and, and Dunham. I think what they should do is do the same thing that they did with uh, Vladesh and, and do some video stuff because Vladesh really, from January 1st till the epidemic shutdown, was the best, the absolute best hockey I've seen him as a minor pro. And I want to see that going forward, and hopefully the, the Bruins re-sign him to a, an extension. But uh, they should move that knowledge down to Kaiser, and when he comes back, I, I'm assuming he's got to be healthy now. If not, when they get back to uh, on the ice, he gets healthier. Um, Mark, I can tell you, he watches a lot of video. He studies Tuka Rask. Uh, there's somebody else he told me it's on. Off the top, I, I can't remember who the other goaltender was, but he he studies two goaltenders uh, on and Tuka Rask is one of them on how they react in different situations and their positioning. And Kyle's such a calm, calm netminder. He very rarely gets rattled. Um, very rarely gets beat by a cheap goal, but. If he does, uh, he bounces right back. And, uh, you know, he's amazing at handling the puck. He was actually voted as the uh, top um, stick handling goaltender by OHL coaches. As that. well as, as best on, on shootouts and breakaways by OHL coaches. Um, just a, a, a quick one, if I, if I can, Mark. I was in Oshawa watching a game, and they were down – they were down a man, and this is how well he is at his puck control. And I, I've never seen this do, uh, I, a goaltender do this on three consecutive shots as, as, as Kyle Kaiser did on this case. If I did, I just don't remember. But uh, a shot came towards the net, and he directed it with his blocker where uh, a teammate could get it first. And so his teammate gets there, clears it, or goes to clear the puck, doesn't get it out. Uh, a shot comes in right away, does it again, clears it, gets it to a teammate, they can't clear the zone. And the third one, you, you could almost see it in his body language. Um, uh, shot comes in, he's like, screw this, took his blocker and punched it out of the zone himself. Three consecutive blocker saves, like within seconds, just like that, to react that quickly and know where to put the puck uh, for your teammates. And just uh, he he reads it so well. It's just uh, I'm just shocked at how well he can read. Rebound control is huge in this game. Yeah, absolutely huge. Um, we got one more little segment before we let you go, Dom. And, and again, this has been such a pleasure. I love talking to you. It's great. Oh. Um, it, it, this is the uh, hashtag AskBNG. So we got three questions that I picked out. Um, and this is uh, one of them is from Maria from Watertown. And she is a, a new writer to the blackandgoldhockey.com website. And she's a, a, a frequent flyer to 98.5. And WEEI when they have call-in sessions and these guys make way for her to get right in front row. She's a very knowledgeable woman 
You can follow her at Maria of H2O Town. And she asks, ask BNG, should fans be concerned that the Bruins and Tory Krug have yet to reach a deal on contract extension? The longer it lingers, the less likely it seems to it will get done. What do you think about that, Dom? Well, normally, Mark Maria, under this circum under normal circumstances, I would say the longer it goes, uh, the more concerned you should be. Having said that, we're in a time that we've never seen before. So, um, first and foremost on the agenda is getting this season done with, awarding the Stanley Cup. Then, moving towards the draft, if they don't do it before, and then free agency. The, the big question mark in signing Tory Krug right now is we just don't know what the cap situation is like. And we won't know for some time. Um, so you could lock Tory into a long-term contract and um, then find out, hey, the NHL and the NHLPA couldn't come to an agreement. Now you're over the cap and you've got to make room elsewhere. So I think the Bruins are being patient. Every NHL team is being patient. Um, uh, you could look at Vancouver Canucks who need to sign a goaltender and Jacob Markstrom. I mean, they are no rush to get him signed. Um, there are a lot of cases like that. Uh, because we just don't know where the where the dollars are, and Tory Krug understands that. Tory Krug is not a stupid person. He understands the business side of the game. So, um, if it were no normal circumstances, yes, I'd be worried. But with the way things are today, I'm not worried just yet. When when the NHL announces with the NHLPA that they've got a cap number for next year and things aren't done right away, then I'll begin to worry. Yeah, I, I was like the same thing with, and it was like you said, it was a different situation. We weren't going through all this pandemic crap, but it's almost like David Pasternak, even Brandon Carlo, Charlie McAvoy, those guys, all those negotiations went right, like right against training camp yeah. and, and they got done. So uh, like Don Sweeney is such a mastermind that talking to these players and talking about culture, if you want to win here and you want to stay here a long time, make it work with us. You know what I mean? It's not all about just coming in here and earning the big dollars because you and I and every other, you know, respectable Bruins fan knows that if he does go on the market, he's going to get top value. He could easily garner $9 million. Sure he could. He could. Um but I don't think that's what Tory Krug is all about, and I think he's he said it himself. And uh, this situation doesn't just affect Tory Krug; it affects Jake DeBrusque um, to an extent. Grizzlick, um, Grizzlick. There's less worry there because they're restricted free agents as opposed to right. unrestricted. But it, it affects every one of them because. Um, Let's face it, Mark, if they say the cap is coming down, um, Tory Crew can go to market, but he isn't going to get the top dollar 
that that he could get had none of this had happened. It's just not going to happen because the money's not going to be there for the teams. That's true. Uh, next question is from Bruins Man One. This is Sir Lancelot, my boy. Ask BNG with the turmoil COVID nineteen has caused. What do you think the effect will be on the OHL and the rest of the CHL moving forward? Oh, that's that's a good question and actually a very good question. Um, the CHL that governs the three leagues, the O, the Dub, and uh, the, the Q, um, is a gate-driven league. Um, uh, you know, they get some TV revenue from Rogers Sportsnet, uh, who do, start doing national broadcasts in uh, late January, early February, I believe it is. Uh, they get some revenue from streaming online, and in Ontario, they have the OHL Action Pack. But the problem there is it's not available as a standalone. You have to buy, purchase it in a, in a sports pack. So. There is some revenue there, but um, the, the the big thing is the NHL-CHL agreement. Now, most people out there think that the NHL-CHL agreement is just, well, unless you're 20 years old, you can't go, uh, you can't play in the AHL. You have to go directly to the NHL or back to the the CHL. Well, it's, it's much more than that. The, the, the NHL pays the, the Canadian Hockey League the set amount of dollars uh, every year. This year that just ended, 2019-2020, the NHL has paid the CHL $12,600,000. Wow. Okay. That deal expired in, um, or expires on June 30th. Um, Two weeks ago, they, they announced that they would extend the, the agreement for one year. Um, the NHL, CHL have never signed a one-year deal. It's always been six, seven, eight years. So this is something new. It's because, again, we're in uncharted territory. This is all new. And not only has the NHL uh, signed that agreement with the CHL, they've also extended some agreements with European leagues for one year. Uh, just so we get through this pan pandemic. So um, we know that there is some revenue there uh, for the CHL. So uh, money-wise, they would be okay. Um, they, they would just be able to sneak through with the advertising revenue and stuff that they bring in. Um, I think that uh, I'm sure that you're aware, Mark, that in 2014, uh, former CHL players filed a lawsuit against the CHL uh, saying that they are actually employees and uh, the CHL was claiming that, no, you're amateur athletes. Um, that case was going to go to court and under Canadian law, when you have a class action suit, you have to go to a mediator first. Um, and that was settled uh, just before the pandemic hit. It was just announced this week that they settled on a $30 million payment. 
it's a it's a one-time thing it can't happen again as all the provinces have changed their legislation uh, to declare Canadian major junior players amateur athletes um, but uh, you know in following all this on Twitter I, I you know for the last 24 hours um, everybody's wondering how the CHL can afford this well, they actually had a $30 million insurance policy taken out on this for this specific lawsuit. So no money is coming out of their pockets um, other than the, ins the insurance that they, they paid on it. So financially, um, I think the CHL will be okay. Uh, they may take a loss for a year. Uh, I'm not sure whether the NHL is willing to pump any more money into it to, to help them out considering they got their own financial uh, issues that they're going to be dealing with um, uh, I you know you mentioned earlier Mark that they may not be starting in September you could be looking at a later October or November deal but they I, I feel the, the OHL will get a full season in they'll get a full playoff in next year and they'll get a Memorial Cup in um, unlike the NCAA, which, like you mentioned, may just not be starting on time, if at all, in 2020. Could be pushed up to 2021, if I remember correctly. So this, the CHL is in good shape. Good. Hey, uh, real quick, I just wanted to add this. Thoughts on an, uh, a draft with 19-year-olds? Um, and the financials... Um, uh, gain that the CHL could get on something like that by ha hanging on to a player for one more year? Well, financially for the CHL, Mark, once, once a player is drafted, um, there's, and, and they go directly to the NHL, that, that NHL team uh, pays the CHL team uh, a $60,000 fee each year that he could have been in the in the OHL. So let's say Jackson Nika, when he was drafted, uh, went directly to the Bruins. The Bruins would pay the general $60,000 for year one and $60,000 for year two would get. So financially, um, raising the draft age wouldn't wouldn't help them in any way because they're they're covered by by the NHL anyway. Uh, the, the, the NHL also supplies the CHL with uh, three-quarters of a million dollars in um, player development, another three-quarters of a million dollars a year in uh, um, concussion protocol uh, training, uh, diagnosis, and, and treatment of it. Uh, they pay another three-quarters of a million dollars a year on social behavior like on twitter or or what have you so the 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 nhl invests a lot of money into well even in fact players that aren't drafted the nhl reimburses them three quarters of a million dollars uh for players not signed to an nhl or ahl deal uh to help recoup recoup some of the um uh what do you call it? The the education package that they, they supply them. 
So financially, the the CHL does very, very well. I don't think that raising the draft age is going to have any effect in terms of the dollars. Awesome. Uh, my boy, Chris Blackie, he is the co-host of the Big Bad Bruins podcast and another a great podcast that I'm very uh, endowed, endowed to. Um, uh, he asked, who is a Bruins prospect people should be watching that maybe aren't? Oh, this is an easy one for me. And uh, go back to the 2018 draft. There's a fellow that I had in the sixth round, and yes, sixth round, that I really, really wanted by the name of Dustin McFall, who played for the Pickering Panthers in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, not the OHL. The, the thing with Dustin is that he was always going to be a, a, a project. Uh, he was six... At that time, he was six years away from ever lacing them up in the NHL because he was committed to going to Clarkson University. Now, this is a kid, and I watched him his first year, um, who ate up huge, huge minutes, Mark and and Chris. Uh, you know, at, at that time, I watched a lot of OJHL games, too, and I went to them, and he caught my eye almost the first game. So as I paid more attention to him, I'd bring a stopwatch and I'd time him. And this guy could eat on a lot of nights, 30 minutes a night. And we're talking a regulation game, no overtime, no nothing. Um, tremendous skater, a tremendous defensively, um, able to join the rush, um, uh, you know, can cornerback a power play, um, but his all aspects of his game needed some refining. So that's why I say he was a bit of a project. So the following season, he had a decision to make uh, because he wasn't starting, he wasn't committed to Clarkson until the 2019-2021 season. So he had another year of, of junior eligibility. So we had to make a choice to either return back to Pickering or uh, I believe he was drafted by Cedar Rapids in the United States Hockey League. Could have gone there to keep his his NCAA, NCAA eligibility. Now, here's a kid who went to the O with a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to prove everybody wrong. He's, he was drafted by the Kingston Frontenacs in the OHL. And he was one of the last cuts on a team that had a really, really deep defense at the time. So he basically said, you know what? I'm going to prove you guys wrong. The guy works hard. He puts in the time. Um, I talked to one of his coaches just a couple of weeks ago in at Clarkson and uh, basically said they, they were surprised at how quickly he came along and how... Uh, as the season progressed, he became more confident, a big game to show that ability to jump into the play. Uh, he recalled a specific goal where he went to end-to-end -to -end uh, uh, to score his first goal. Um, but Clarkson had a deep defense, so he wasn't thrown into those key situations. Now, uh, the coach told me that, that next season they, they, he's going to be given – 
uh, more ice time. He's going to be given power play time. He's going to be given penalty killing time. Uh, and he's going to be a leader on the back end. And, and that's the other quality is even as a rookie in the OJHL, uh, you saw that those leadership qualities were there. He, he even as a rookie on the team, uh, he was talking to players, helping them with positioning. Uh, he was directing traffic when he was on the ice. Really far advanced in terms of lot leadership at, at his age at that time. Uh, he's a player that, again, we're talking six-round pick, but don't let where a player was selected influence you on where a player uh, or what type of player he would be. I had an NHL scout tell me a, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I was talking to him, uh, tell me that, uh, you know, he wanted to take him in the third round, but uh, his GM said, no, we need players now. So he's the type of player that you could pick in the sixth round, uh, spend another year in junior, four years in college, and a year in the AHL. If you have the the players there that you can wait that long to have them produce, and the Bruins are just in that situation, yeah, I'm really happy they drafted them, and I'm glad he's a Bruin, and I just hope he doesn't prove me wrong. I don't think he will because I know the kid's work ethic, I know how humble he is, I know uh, that his motivation to improve. Uh, is always there. He doesn't need any outside motivation. He motivates himself. And he's he's got a, a high hockey IQ. So I think he'll be pretty successful. Yeah, and, and from and from past experience talking to uh, some scouts in, in that, they, that, that work for the Bruins, um, it's not all about playing ability. It's about character. So Exactly. And you know, he has it in spade, Mark. Absolutely. All right, well, look, we're running out of time, Dom, but listen, I want to thank you so much for the for the uh, almost two hours of this conversation. You've been such a great person to talk to, and we've filled in so many different areas, and I hope we've provided um, a lot of, you know, inside of, not inside information, but a little bit about what's going on with the Bruins and, and their prospects throughout the uh, the developing depths. But thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I have to have you back on again. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. Yeah, definitely. I, I know we originally said, you know, an hour and we went into two. And I'm <laughs> sure we could have probably gone another six because um, there's nothing better than good hockey content out there while we have to go through this. And if we provided a little bit of that, then, hey, we've done our job. So, yeah, my pleasure being on and definitely we'll do it again sometime. You just... Shoot me a message and let me know, my friend. I will. I'll definitely do that. And, and you know, I'm going to count on that. But please follow Dom on Twitter at Dom Tiano. Um, he writes for the OHLWriters.me, a fantastic person, fantastic writer. And we will say goodbye. Thanks again, Dom. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, it's another week. We're going to keep trucking. We're going to keep going. We're going to have more guests like Dom on in the future. So keep listening. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Patreon members. Thanks for retweeting. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for doing everything for us. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.
Thanks again for listening to and supporting the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please share the show with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star rating for the show on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Between shows, help us keep the Bruins talk going by visiting our website, blackandgoldhockey.com, by sending an email to blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com and by following the show on Twitter at blackandgoldpod. Peace out.